<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Man. Shit is crazy, y'all. Like, what am I gonna do? I gotta find a new job. Hi, welcome to the Modern Waiter Podcast. I'm Marlon Joseph, the Modern Waiter, where we discuss all things restaurant business. Learn something, laugh at something, and on today's episode, we are doing part two of Quarantine Life, which centers around food this time. And we have a very special guest today, Instagram's restaurant junkie, author of Be a Better Effing Waiter, Jack <laughs> Kohout. Hi, all. How you doing, Jack? And as usual, I'm joined by my good friend, Danny DeVilla. What's up, what's up, what's up, people? How you doing today, Jack? Good? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a little cold up here in Boston, but other than that, not too bad. Nice. Okay. okay. So uh, the purpose of the Quarantine Life uh, series, uh, we're going to give our audience some insight into our commonalities, although we're, uh, we're all uh, separated. And we have uh, we have a shared experience. So this episode we're going to center around food, and uh, I'm following a restaurant junkie, and uh, he has very interesting posts. So, and also he's uh, written a book. So I'm excited to talk about the book with you, uh, th through the lens of uh, the quarantine, so to speak. But then. Uh, before we do that, yeah. let's start from the beginning. Uh, tell us about uh, where your passion for food comes from. Well, uh, you know, it's funny. I feel a lot of people have stories about, you know, their parents, their grandparents, like really, you know, like, oh, I, I made meatballs with my grandma and stuff like that. But mm. uh, to, to be perfectly honest, I, uh, I came from a rather professional family. Uh, not that they were disinterested in food, but just uh, it was definitely like a secondary thing. Mm -hmm. Um, the one, ex the one exception is that my, my grandparents, um, uh, their parents all had a bakery that operated a family bakery that operated in Northern New Jersey. So I was always around that kind of environment, mm -hmm. but not necessarily part of it for a long time. Okay. And then, uh, then I went to college and, uh, while I was in college, I kind of fell backwards into restaurants. Okay. And uh, I realized how much fun they were and how how kind of eye-opening uh, an experience it was to work in them. And then I got exposed to food that way. And even though I started off in the front of the house, uh, like bartending and waiting tables, I eventually moved to back of the house. Uh, I got to really see a lot of great things. And, um, but yeah, 
uh, I just, it was one of those things where I think my interest in food came a little bit later than some, but uh, definitely very passionate about it. Nice. And do you also like to cook? I do. That's something I think I probably got from my dad. My dad is a computer scientist, you know, definitely a tech kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, he uh, he went to school in Boston, uh, and a lot of his classmates were uh, Southeast Asian, and you know there was a big uh, booming sort of not booming, but a, a starting Chinese cuisine sort of revolution in Boston at that time, okay. started by a, a woman named Joyce Chen. And my dad really got into both Indian and Chinese cuisine, and so while we were growing up. We, we actually cooked a lot of that kind of stuff at home, uh, and I, I got really into it. So, so um, you don't necessarily have to tell us where you, the exact place you work at, but what's uh, what's your experience yeah. now? What are you uh, what are you doing now? So right now, uh, I'm working for a uh, sort of a mid-sized bakery chain in uh, the northeastern part of the United States. Uh, really nice, good company that has a wonderful reputation. And, uh, yeah, I really like working with them. It's funny. I literally, I had just started working with them about a month and a half ago. Okay. And then, <laughs> and so I know, right. So, so basically, uh, I started working with them, uh, was really getting into it. And then basically as soon as things were starting to get full swing, uh, it kind of stopped. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I mean, and that's where 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 what brings us to this series, right? The quarantine life, and uh, we're all finding stories like that. I mean, either way, yeah. you're you're in limbo. Is my place going to be okay afterwards? What kind of business am I going to get? And um, yes. you know, and I remember the the panic. Besides the run on toilet paper, you know, people were really stocking up on on food. As if the supply yeah. chain was gonna disappear, and we don't, yeah. we didn't even know if it was or not, you know. So, well, and and it's fun. yeah. Sorry. No, no. Go ahead. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, it's funny too how certain uh, ingredients have kind of become impossible to locate because there was such a, a run on stuff, uh, like especially in my field, um, yeast and unsalted butter are now both very hard to come by, at least around these parts. Okay, uh, so yeast and did you say unsalted butter? Unsal- specifically unsalted butter. Yeah. Okay, so, both of which are kind of like keys to baking. Yeah, true. I heard about I heard about the yeast uh, only in passing. Yeah. you know, hearing people post, you know, what can I do about yeast and things like that. And um, mm-hmm. but the unsalted butter, I did not know about. It's funny. I had heard about it in passing, and then, uh, of course, I, I had to check it out. So I went to the grocery store, and uh, lo and behold, all the unsalted butter and all the brands, from store brand up to like high end, is all gone. That's pretty wild. I mean, but uh, I've uh, I've actually made butter before. <laughs> yeah, it's. So- I mean, it's funny. the The only problem that I've been having is that. Um, so ultra pasteurized heavy cream mm-hmm. actually I don't know that you absolutely can't make it into butter but it's very difficult. So the uh, the key is to find, you know, stuff that has not been ultra pasteurized. Okay. Um and that isn't always hard. And that isn't always easy to come by either. But you're right. Yeah, making your own butter is, is actually not very hard. 
especially if you have like a, a home mixer or something like that. True. True. It's it's very interesting, like the the little things that you didn't realize that would have you know have a run on in the stores. My mom recently uh, called me and she was like, "Oh, you know, I'm, you know, obviously, you know, they're they're frowning on churches gathering, so she wanted to do a little mm. webcam thing." And I said, "Oh, man, mm. they're, they're not, they're not, you know, they're not expensive. You can get a nice one for you know sixty, seventy bucks." I said, "Let me let me look on oh, uh, online for you." Uh, absolutely not <laughs> available. Oh, Anything wow. I that didn't has, think about that, but yeah. yeah. I didn't either. Anything that has to do with work from home, be it a monitor, a keyboard, a webcam, are gone. Wow. So we'll add that on to the, the uh, unsalted butter <laughs> and the yeast. <laughs> of some That's funny because I was just telling Marlon yesterday, I was looking for some uh, workout equipment. All that stuff is gone too. All that like home oh, gym yeah. stuff, everything. That is true. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> I just gave him my uh, my workout bench. <laughs> oh wow! Every everything is sold out. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, I, it's it's really odd, but yeah, it, it, how many different things are just impossible to come by now. I actually I was looking for uh, some bartending equipment, and even some of those things are like, oh, we can get it to you, but it's going to take twenty days. I'm like, what? oh wow. Like yeah. you know, like small things like bar spoons and shaker tins. Interesting. That's crazy. Man, I should yeah. I should get a list together, a little golden <laughs> a little golden list. You know, if you come across these items, you could sell them right right quick on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh. That'd actually be yeah. So I mean, the love for food and eating or cooking. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, you know, you either have it or don't, you, you can love food and not want to cook, but mm. have you, um, with the shortages of ingredients, have you been forced to experiment at all? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a double-edged sword because, uh, there's something about it that I, I love, which is I'm getting all these ingredients that I have no idea how to use. And I, and I like to think of myself as fairly, you know, I've been exposed to a lot of great stuff. I, mm -hmm. I worked in Los Angeles for a while in the kitchen nice. down there. So I got exposed to a lot of, uh, you know, I worked in a, a sushi restaurant and I worked in uh, an all Colombian kitchen. So I got to see a lot of that, those kind of foods and ingredients and stuff. Uh, and then here in Boston, I've worked in a number of different restaurants that have unusual cuisines uh, or maybe even which you might call fusion or, or just mix mix ups and mashups of different things. Okay. Um, but I, I still go into the grocery store and it's amazing what gets left behind. Uh, and to be perfectly honest, I don't make a lot of money, uh, especially not now. Um, <laughs> but as a result, you know, I, I'm trying to, to shop economically. And then also, you know, sometimes I'm just, uh, I'm, there's only certain things I'm left with. So for example, um, right now there's a lot of, uh, food on sale for Passover. Uh, so various kosher items, stuff that I've never, I've honestly never had. Mm -hmm. Uh, okay. like, uh, like things like gefilte fish, you know, uh, <laughs> sort of lots of it, you know? And so the question is, well, gefilte fish, I mean, even, you know, people who, who enjoy gefilte fish don't usually recommend getting, you know, store-bought canned so it's one of those things where it's like, okay, if I buy this and it's really cheap, what do I do with it? How is there a way that I can make this into something worth enjoying? And I think, I think there are ways to do that. Okay. Some of it, 
is uh, is it simply a matter of how you dress it. You know, I think, uh, for example, uh, anyone who has a certain number of like um, spices that's really mm-hmm. important right now. Um, any sort of sauces. I mean, we talk in like um, traditional French cooking about like the, the mother sauces. Yes. Uh, but my recommendation, honestly, is to to look, you know, to to Asia and South America with things like, you know, chimichurri and piri-piri sauces uh, from like, you know, South Africa and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, you just, there's so many other different ways to make stuff taste different or better or, you know, cover up flaws. I mean, that's basically, that was the whole point of the spice trade anyways. True, was finding true. stuff to, you know, make whatever you had taste better. And I think this is really no different. You've got, you've got that filled fish, you know, maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe sriracha is your answer. I, I like trying to figure that out. See what what I can do to make something that maybe is less than ideal, a little bit better, more palatable. Well, I mean, that's right up the alley of this uh, food section of the quarantine life. Were you able to do anything with the gefilte fish? So I haven't yet. Okay. I have it sitting in my I have it sitting in my <laughs> in my pantry right now. Um, I it was actually you know as so many of us have relationship with restaurants, one of the things that sort of happened as a result of all this is uh, certain food distributors, uh, you know, who distribute, you know, produce and meats and, and mm-hmm. fishes and stuff to the restaurants are now offering different sort of like care packages and boxes to, you know, out of work restaurant employees, but also even nice. for sale to directly to the public. So uh, right now I got a huge box of uh, fruits and veggies from, uh, from a, a local distributor. And oh, nice. I'm trying to sort of, yeah, I'm trying to work my way through it. And I mean, in some ways it's great because I'm, I'm, I'm having salad for dinner every night. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a good salad. It's a hearty salad. But it's one of those things where I'm trying to make sure that I use the things that are most perishable first. True. Uh, mm-hmm. Although, I will recommend this. Um, this, you know, obviously isn't true for, I mean, well, again, I don't know that it, it might be true for all things. But like for example, I have a, a large bowl of uh, that has like uh, four heads of lettuce uh, and water on okay. my desk now, and so what I, I'm doing is basically sort of save room and make the lettuce last longer. It's, it's sitting in a bowl of water and it's staying fresh, and I'm almost treating it like a, a house plant. But then I'm just pulling leaves off every night and then cooking with it and making salads. And I've got uh, my scallions that I've sort of held on to. Uh, sitting in a jar of water as well. And, you know, they're all still growing. They're all still alive. But it's also freeing up space in my kitchen and I'm making them last a little bit longer, which is good at a time like this. True. I mean, I don't know if it's the right method to store certain uh, certain ingredients, but whenever I buy, you know, let's say, thyme or mm-hmm. things like that, I do put them in a, a small glass of water um, where I yeah. cover it with plastic and it just seems to last a lot longer. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, e- even if it's in the fridge, they, they last very long, but, um, I can't go through that much time and, you know, you get a bunch of time. It'll take me, you know, a, a quite some time to get, uh, uh, quite some time to get through it. But, um, <laughs> um but yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. I find myself going to the grocery store every other day and I'll pick stuff up just to figure out what to do with it later because um, I just want to be able to have it available to me instead of saying, oh, I need to go do a big shop 
and then there was nothing on the yeah. shelf. But I haven't come so across the gefilte fish yet, though. <laughs> yeah, it's out there, man. I'm telling you, that <laughs> and uh, chocolate hummus. It's out there. Did you say chocolate hummus? Chocolate hummus. I've seen. Yeah, that. It's, yeah, it's it's definitely one of those items that people are not stocking up on right now. Uh, <laughs> what is chocolate out there? It, is it like real hummus? Exactly what it like. Yeah, it's real hummus. It's just it has chocolate flavoring. Uh, oh wow! Okay. You know. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. Intellectually, I know that's not not necessarily a terrible combination. If for no other reason than you know tahini, which is a very basic element of hummus. Mm-hmm. You've got like a nutty, almost like a peanutty flavor. So if you were to say up the hummus flavor or up the tahini flavor in the hummus and add chocolate, it could almost be like a chocolate peanut butter spread. Okay, but, like like a, like a Nutella kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so in my head, I can see how they they might think it makes sense. I've never tried it. I would be reluctant to try it, but you know. Yeah, there's a, like at least a month more of this. So uh, yeah, at we'll least, at least, yeah, we're gonna be Stop coming reminding up with... us. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. So we're, bad. We're gonna be coming up sure. on some strange combinations coming up soon. You know? Yeah. Like... I mean, like uh, the way I kind of look at it too is though is uh, I think for a long time, uh, you know, for the last five years, I think we've been trending to almost entirely eating in restaurants versus eating. Uh, buying from the grocery store, I think, was it either last year or the year before that? Maybe it was like maybe even longer than that. Uh, we finally started buying more food from restaurants than we were from grocery stores. Oh wow! As a nation, um, oh, which wow. that number had that had just like it just happened, like that tipping point had just happened, and so now we're in a situation in which a lot of people are being forced sort of to go backwards. And I think it's going to force a lot more interesting, different kinds of home cooking. You know, I'm, I, I almost think of this as like, this is going to be like an artistic revolution of home cooking. And I'm excited about that. Uh, you know, I'm trying to find a silver lining, I guess. But, the you home know. cooking renaissance. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, and, it, and it's funny. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's funny too. Like, uh, I'm realizing, so my family is uh, uh, Czech, uh, so Eastern European, Mm -hmm. and um, there's a whole bunch of dishes that uh, I don't think I ever would have made before uh, that are very simple. Like, basically, Czech food revolves around potatoes, cabbage, mushrooms, and pork, and that's pretty much it. And there's different variations on it, and there's like dumplings, and bread dumplings, and little dumplings, and stuff like that. but this is kind of forcing me to be like, oh, you know, that barley dish is like literally just barley, garlic, and onions and mushrooms. You know, like let's give it a shot, and it's you know, it's it's really good. You know, and it's I think a lot of us are gonna maybe look towards those very simple sort of humble kind of dishes mm-hmm. that maybe come from our backgrounds that we you know we're just like, oh, that's great and all, but I really want to order you know Thai food. You know, <laughs> not that you should support, support your local businesses. But, you know, at the same time, you know, and I like lo- to see us, yeah, rediscovering stuff. Yeah, a lot of those ethnic foods are um, economical. So, yeah, you know, it's um, and they tend to go a long way. I just made a, um, a mung bean and, and kale soup uh, stew, which, you know, nice. a, a part of that, like mung beans aren't very um, you got to soak them ahead of time, but they're not very expensive. And um, 
a lot of people haven't heard the, heard of them, uh, although they're not readily available absolutely everywhere. So it's that, tomatoes, potatoes, uh, garlic, and kale, mm-hmm. and you just stew that down, and it's very nutritious and actually delicious depending on what spices you go with. But, um, you know, yeah. it's, I wouldn't really, I don't really make that often, but I've been <laughs> lately. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, well, yeah, I was going to say all those ingredients that you just listed there too are kind of like they're long lasting. So if you can find different ways to use the same stuff, you know, across different cultures and different styles, then you've got basically infinite number of meals just with those alone. True. True. I also made a um in uh, a lentil um what's it called uh, bolognese sauce, sauce for for my pasta. Oh wow! Okay. Oh, that actually that sounds really cool. Like uh, lentils, were they replacing something or were they they just were, sort of they like were replacing thing? they were replacing the meat the ground. He meat. don't eat meat lately. Okay. He's acting weird. <laughs> <laughs> well. Well, well. Here's the thing. I mean, it, it kind of works out because a lot of meats are aren't even available, so I I don't have to stress about yeah. that part, you know. I think it's one of I I actually I might ask you for the recipe on that. I would totally try that out. Oh yeah, definitely. It's it's easy and um, and if you if you ever made a tomato sauce or bolognese, you just uh, make sure that you know you make it the way that you like it and then the lentils as long as you you know rinse them really well and uh i tend to use the uh the split the split lentils because they cook faster yeah um and then Mm -hmm. you know you saute that up with uh you know your spices and then combine it with the sauce and you reduce it down and it keeps like any other pasta sauce and it gives you uh, lentils has great, great, great uh, protein ratios and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, and, well, I mean, that, and that's something else to think about too. Is like you make something like that, you can you can hold it for a long time. You can freeze it. True. Well, you know, and, and it'll last longer than say if you just had fresh tomatoes or something else like that. True. True. That that's yeah. another thing that um, I've yet to really expand on, and uh, I'd like the audience to really to really think about freezing things because that way you don't really have to worry about each and every meal. I think the, the, uh, the restaurant dependency is us thinking about every meal, you know, Hey, what are we doing for Mm -hmm. for breakfast? What are we doing for lunch? What are we doing for dinner? And you don't necessarily have to, um, make uh, prepackaged meals and portion them out for the week or food prep, I should say. But you can you can do something in batches and then put them in the freezer and it's at least going to replace for throughout the week two or three meals in, in the next 10 mm. days or so. You know, uh, question. Absolutely. I mean, yes, please. Uh, have you uh, any experience with uh, fermenting foods? So uh, I was actually just going to mention. Uh, so. I honestly, the only real ferment that I have going right now is I have a, a starter, like uh, for for sourdough. Okay. Um, I know my, my grandparents are big on making um, sauerkraut, so basically just like salt water, cabbage. Mm-hmm. You let it sit, and then doing that. Uh, I will say this: one of the things that I definitely have been doing a lot of now is not doing a traditional ferment of like like lacto fermentation where it really like it, it's a longer process but uh just even quick pickling uh is really uh. simple like it's it's 
it's so simple. It'll uh, keep things uh, for a while. Plus, it's kind of it's a, it allows you to make something that you can use in several different ways, several different times. Like you were saying, with uh, you know, you're basically making something you can add character to multiple meals as opposed to just one. True. So it's a very simple ratio of, uh, and I'm, I'm doing this off. I think it's one 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 is like the standard quick pickle thing. So it's like cup of water, cup of vinegar, uh, tablespoon of salt, so like kosher salt. Um, I think it depends on what kind of salt you're using too, as to exactly what those uh, ratios are. So I definitely recommend looking it up. Um, but it's you just you put it on the stove, you boil it up, and then you you dump it over your vegetables, put it in a can, and, and or put it in a, a jar and just put it in your fridge. Yeah. And within 30 minutes, you basically have a pickle. Um, nice. But you can you can flavor that any way you want. You can add spices like turmeric or a mustard seed, which I definitely recommend a bay leaf. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, you can add sugar and make like a like a bread and butter pickle if you want. Um, you know, there are lots of different things you can do. In fact, I I highly recommend. Uh, yeah, sorry. You ever hear of like Rule Thirty Four? Um, I have uh, not. Probably in a, so it's Rule Thirty Four of the Internet is that um, and this is uh, I, I apologize if I get too blue here. Uh, <laughs> is, that, uh, is that any porn or fetish that you can think of exists online? Uh, like it's always out there. What I recommend is that there should be like a, a corollary to that. Any food you can think of or any recipe you can think of exists online. It really is out there. Oh, without a doubt. So if you're if you're curious about something, like it's funny. I've often had these weird ideas. I'm like, what if you mix this and this? What would happen? And then <laughs> I put it in. I put it into the Google machine, and then basically I'm like, oh, five people have recipes for that exact same idea already. <laughs> I'll riff on one of theirs, you know. So it's it's one of those things. Uh, like the other day, I was I had some avocados that I wanted to to use up before they uh, turned, and uh, I just I was like, I wonder if I could, how can I use the avocado? How can I save it? I'm like, I wonder if I can make an avocado pesto, and lo and behold, like 15 avocado pesto, uh, you know, recipes came up. I'm like, I don't have pine nuts. What can I use? And I had like mixed nuts, so I used mixed nuts instead of pine nuts, and you know, some of these. Some of these may not always work exactly the way you think they will, but maybe you can figure out other ways. Like I started off making avocado pesto and then I was like, you know what this tastes like? It tastes like uh, almost like sort of like a, an Asian uh, style dressing with like, you know, like a peanut sauce, like a satay. And so I started, so I started off making a pesto and then I wound up uh, adding like fish sauce and, uh, a few of, like sugar and things like that, and I made like this creamy kind of like Asian dressing that I wound up using. Um, uh, and you know, you you gotta you gotta taste what you're making as you're making it, and then you make decisions based on the flavors. Absolutely, you are very bold, my friend. Also, um, I'm I've made a, a broccoli pesto that was very similar to that. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's it was in. I, you buy a head of broccoli and you don't want to eat it every day. So then a, a quick yeah. way to really finish off the rest of it is blended up garlic, things like that. And you could even freeze it. And um, don't be mm-hmm. afraid of mm-hmm. um, of if you want to pre- preserve, if you got like, let's say you got a bo- that box that you talked about from your distributor, um, yeah. you know, fermenting carrots or green beans, peppers and 
you know, beats whatever you have, you can, you, that's a way of uh, preserving it. If you, if you like the sour taste of things like, you know, obviously sauerkraut and things like that. And uh, you could look up recipes yeah. online, but it's a great way. It's going to preserve all the nutrients um, in it. And uh, you don't have to really worry about how long it's going to last because it's going to last you, you know, a good amount of time. Oh, true. Oh, true. And uh, so we're uh, so okay. What uh, yeah. what restaurant food are you missing right now? Oh, um, <laughs> that is always a good question. So it's it's funny. I think the the big ones are the things that are really hard to do at home. Um, like honestly, any sort of like genuinely fried foods mm -hmm. uh like uh, i'm definitely a big fan of like uh basically like fried pork you know the like deep fried pork uh like often used with like japanese curries uh definitely a big fan of like fried chicken you know stuff like that and it's it's not that you can't do it at home because obviously it's been done at home for you know hundreds of years but uh Something to always keep in mind is that whenever you're, say, if you are frying anything at home, uh, is that you need to maintain uh, a certain temperature on the oil. Uh, and oftentimes it gets a little bit difficult because it means either you don't have a vessel that's big enough to hold multiple things. It just takes forever. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, um, yeah, or just it's what happens is, you know, it just doesn't live up to that that image in your head of like those fast food, you know, like I, I love, uh, I love both churches, fried chicken and, um, Popeye's to be perfectly honest. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't really get either of those right now, uh, which is True. unfortunate, okay. you know? And then I, you know, and that, and also any sort of, I don't know. I was going to say, uh, certain desserts uh, that I feel like are, are just easier and better to get out. Uh, I know you guys had talked a little bit a, a while back about um, certain like staples in the restaurant, mm -hmm. things like uh, creme brulee, like creme brulee, and uh, things like that that come up. Um, but a lot of those I feel like are hard to make. A, you know, in small batches or for people for like single people alone without and, a doubt yeah yeah the only time yeah. i've really made the creme brulees were for for a holiday you know party or you know thanksgiving where i know i'm expecting 24 people and things like that um and it's quite yeah. an investment i mean you're not making a single or or five creme brulees you're just not <laughs> you know because right. of the yield on the egg and all that stuff so um yeah i it's, don't go ahead it's fun yeah, sorry. I was just gonna say the the only other thing that I know that I'm missing is uh, you know I'm missing good bartenders. Um, I can make drinks at home, but I'm just not as good or as talented as most of the the really good bartenders out there. Uh, and so that's something that I'm definitely missing. Yeah, that and like the social aspect of the bar as whole as a whole, I feel like is is what's what everybody kind of misses as well too. Totally. We're gonna do a a part on on uh on drinks which covers uh bartending as well and and you're right i mean it's uh i recently bought uh ingredients to make an old-fashioned and i'd like to say mm. i make a decent old-fashioned 
But it's almost like when when uh, someone else makes your sandwich, <laughs> you know. It, yeah, 100%. It, it tends to taste better and, you know, it, was, it wasn't the same. I was like, mm, ah, because I think <laughs> <laughs> obviously when you, when you make something enough and you're professional at it, you have that, you know, it's not four dashes, it's three and a half. You know, they kind of cut that off yeah. or they know how much sweetness to put into it. You know, uh, yeah. maybe they, you know, some muddle, some don't. It, it, it's just... Yeah, that's a good point. You know, uh, you miss that good drink. After that, I just poured I mean, a rum and uh, coke. <laughs> uh, I have a friend who has a, uh, he's actually teaching virtual, like online cocktail courses now. Uh, he's Cocktail oh, okay. God on, on Instagram. I definitely recommend uh, looking into what he does. Uh, but I, I've, I've enlisted on, in those courses just because like I'm, I'm not making good drinks for myself. And I want, like, I don't have that, I guess, I don't want to get blitzed every night, but I want to have, like, one good drink. And if I can't make that one good drink, what, what good am I, you know? <laughs> I, I want some. <laughs> so, but yeah. am, I, am I correct in, uh, you, you like rum, don't you? Is I that do like rum. It, it is true. I mean, it's funny because uh, I... The way I got into rum was uh, I had uh, I worked I used to work for this other bartender who again highly recommending Tread was on on Instagram. He's actually also doing virtual uh, bartending courses too. Uh, so many of these guys are now. Um, hey, you gotta but, you gotta uh, you gotta respect the pivot. Yeah, he he I the day that I uh, I took a job working for him, I basically had gone into the restaurant. I ordered a drink called a ridiculous rum old fashioned and it okay. kind of blew my mind. Uh, and it was, it was like this really elaborate drink. It was like served in uh, it was served in like a copper pineapple and it, that was filled with smoke. And like on the side there were uh, basically it was, he used a blend of like three different rums in order to make the drink. Mm -hmm. And they were all like, there was a little shot on the side of each individual one. So you could taste the different components that went into it. And it was just one of those things where I'm like, I, I had literally only ever thought of rum as like the white Bacardi bottle, you know, and that was it. Yeah. You know, and and then I was like, oh wow, there's a lot more to this. So yeah, I've I've started to be like, okay, uh, let's let's learn more about this. And basically, my friends, uh, including another gentleman, Lord Andy Pierce. I know a lot of bartenders, if he hasn't noticed. Um, <laughs> but uh, he lent me a bunch of his books. So I've been reading books on rum and trying to trying to learn as much as I can, you know, while I have this time. So I uh, I got to find a way to send you some rum. I'm from Antigua, a small island in the Caribbean. Oh, really? And they make an amazing rum. Uh, well, they actually make Ooh. two, but uh, I have a couple bottles and I got to figure out how to send one to you. Um, it's called English Harbor. I would love that. And it's got great flavor, man. Uh, you can you could sip it on its own, but it's best with like a ginger ale or a Coke or something like that, but whatever you want to make with it. So I'll find a way to get it to you in the mail. Oh, and awesome. um, yeah, and you got to let me know what you think. I will I will not only take it, I will I will share it with my friends as much as I am able to at this point. And uh, I would love to see what people uh, can do with it too because I... 
is one of those things where it's, it's an area that I know very little about, mm-hmm. which makes it all the more fun because it's a sort of taste and, and, and learn new things about it. And it's, it's really cool. I mean, that's, I think this is true for both the, the drinking, but also I think anyone out there who's cooking for themselves right now, like don't look at it as a challenge or anything else like that. Just look at it like, okay, I'm going to make something. Maybe it's going to be terrible. Um, and I'm okay with that and I will try it. And I'll, I'll find out what I like. Uh, yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of stuff out there too that like, I, I think for a long time I was afraid of not for any other reason than I just, I just didn't like it. Uh, like I'm not a big fan of like dried fruits. I just don't like the, the texture of them. Uh, I don't really know where that comes from, but, uh, you know, one of the things that I am learning is I'm like, okay, well dried fruits, they keep for a long time. It's got the fiber in it, you know, True. it adds a sort of like touch of sweetness to stuff. So I've got to figure out ways that I can enjoy this. And I'm trying to figure out ways, uh, to, to enjoy it. And, uh, I don't know that even that's been interesting too, you know? Yeah. So tell me about your mission. Your um, your restaurant yeah. junkie on on uh, Instagram, and it's deeply hilarious. Okay. Some of your your I could tell you're a writer because uh, your descriptions on <laughs> on uh, on certain things. I mean, Instagram is a visual medium, but if you get yeah. on there and you read some of your uh, descriptions, it's it's freaking hilarious. So my my two part question, I guess. Um, uh, yeah. Your your. Your bio says uh, that your goal is to help the restaurant business. What's your mission in, the, in you know, that way? Well, uh, I think primarily for me, um, so I do, I, I like writing. Uh, for a very brief period of time, I was a movie reviewer um, uh, out in Los Angeles. And That's it was cool. one of those things where it was, it, was a, it was a fun job because I get to see a lot of movies. But I think at the end of the day, I realized that I – I wasn't that great at it because I'm like, yeah, the movie's great, but like this theater is awesome. So I want to talk about the theater or <laughs> I want to talk about the sort of this weird experience of a hundred people basically being paid to watch this film and then talk about it, you know, or, uh, you know, things like that. And I think there's a greater context for all this stuff. And, uh, I think with, with restaurants in particular, uh, there are, of course, like professional reviews, you know, people like, you know, Pete Wells, et cetera, et cetera. And then you've got uh, your Yelpers. And I think <laughs> both halves both, both halves of that uh, have their drawbacks. Of course, Yelpers, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, don't know what they're talking about most of the time. Like they just, and I don't mean that in any sort of real derogatory way, but like <laughs> they just, they don't, they, they don't understand what goes into a restaurant. That's you know, true. they don't understand the, the mechanics of it or how it works. Uh, and then you have people who are, you know, food reviewers. And to be perfectly honest, they, they, most of them, and not all of them, but most of them have a certain standard that they're working towards. So they're like, okay, this is, this is what defines an aioli. It says aioli on the menu, but it's not an aioli like it should be an aioli, you know, and that's a, a weird example. But you, but you know what I mean, where they, yeah. they're, they're trying to, you know, put restaurants, uh, into sort of a traditional standard. Uh, I really, I love restaurants. I think they're amazing. I love food. Uh, but I also don't think that there's necessarily a, a right way to appreciate a restaurant or a right way to appreciate the food. So when I talk about stuff, I talk about it as, as I experience it. So it's one of those things where I think in a lot of ways we've over the last, you know, 
10 years, we've had a huge glut of restaurants, a lot of new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the, the newer restaurants are just kind of, say, to say they're copying each other, I think is, is an oversimplification. But, you know, there's there, there's a lot of similarities in terms of the ingredients they're using, in terms of like, you know, what people are expecting. And mm-hmm. I don't know, there's uh there's a, my favorite example is there's a restaurant in um, in Cambridge, Massachusetts uh, called Brookline Lunch that uh, I used to love to go to. And it was like a mom and pop operation in the, the traditional sense. Like literally, he's cooking, she's waiting tables. Um, and I believe the family is Lebanese and they do fairly standard breakfast items for the most part, but uh, the prices are low. They're always very friendly. Uh, and they have this really killer hot sauce that they put on the side that they make. Uh, and just, yeah. And it's that combination of things of like, you go in there, uh, the service is, is friendly. It's a warm atmosphere. There's no expectations. There's no artifice. Like it's not like the food is fancy, but it really, it kind of tastes fancy. Like if you put it on better plates, you know, or, you know, made it, you know, and put it on like a white tablecloth. I think people would pay probably two to three times what they are paying for it, you know? And I think like that's, that's one of those restaurants where I don't know that it's ever been reviewed in say like the Boston Globe, you know, local paper here, but it's the thing that should be there. They should pay attention to. Yeah. So I think that's part gems. of what I, yeah. yeah. You know, it's the, it's the hidden gems, but it's, it's even like dumb things. Like uh, there's a frozen pizza that's, uh, that's available uh, in the Massachusetts area. It's a, it's what's called a North Shore bar pizza. Uh, it's called, it's from a restaurant called Cape Cod, uh, Cape Cod pizza. And they basically package it and sell it frozen in like CVS's and convenience stores in, in the greater Boston area. Okay. And it's a really good pizza. Like it's a really good frozen pizza. And it's, it's, it's one of those silly things that I think people would overlook because they're like, Oh, there's DiGiorno and there's Elio's and there's all the other mm-hmm. frozen pizzas that I, I know and I'm very familiar with. Then there's this other sort of like, like no name brand. It doesn't even come in a box. It's just like shrink wrap. Uh, okay. And and it's it's so good. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, let's. Uh, so, I don't know. Let's trade because Marlon loves pizza. Just send him one. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I, yeah. I, I I'm oh my gosh. Oh. Absolutely. I'm a pizza man. And speaking about pizza man, oh. uh, one of your 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 yeah. posts. Uh, I got it. Yeah. I got it. I got to talk to you about this Korean style Hawaiian pizza man. So, so I, I know you don't like pineapple on pizza. Is that, okay. that going to be part of this? <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to beat you up on that because, uh, you know, that's, <sighs> that, like you said in your post, it says, you say Hawaiian pizza is, is a controversial subject. And yes. I, I love pineapple. I have one on my account about to chop that up right now to put in my, uh, for my yeah. smoothie prep. Um, but the description is amazing. And you go into some, uh, some history of it seems like you you really know your Asian cuisine. Have you spent time over there uh, at all? No, I, I haven't. I asked, you went to school in Japan, correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I've never spent time over there. I think one of the things is that I've always been I've always I've always liked a lot of different Asian cuisines. Like uh, I don't know, they're just they're so. I've never quite come across a, a, a group of cultures that is so food oriented, but food oriented in different, very specific ways. Like, uh, like I love Chinese cuisine, you know, but, uh, 
you know, like a soup dumpling has, you know, is very different from say, uh, you know, uh, a gyoza that you get in Japan, mm-hmm. um, which is also something very delicious. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you have, like, I, I'm I'm a huge fan of Korean foods uh, for a number of reasons. One, they are the Asian country that I think most allies with my own sense of spice. Okay. Uh, you know, like there is, you know, of course, Szechuan cuisine in, in China, but like that sort of that fermented uh, gochujang paste that they use in Korea, like I adore that and, and just kimchi is fantastic. And then you have things like, uh, you know, Vietnamese cuisine, which is this weird sort of fusion of like European and Asian food. Uh, I say weird and that's not necessarily appropriate, but it's, it's, it's so different and yet so familiar that it just, it really sort of like hits home. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, th- my, my interest or, or my love for Asian food, it's usually when I'm there, I love their street food. They do street food like Americans yeah. do restaurants, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's perfect to go to perfect to, to, to sit there. And, uh, I remember when I was in Japan, they served, uh, um, the chicken wings, right? But they mm-hmm. would, uh, Address the bone well. Well, they they'll dress the wing where they'll scrape the 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 meat towards the other end. Let's say on a drumstick. So mm-hmm. so then the mm-hmm. the actual bone becomes the the holder for it. And yeah. I, mean, I was like, oh, this is great. You know, I don't have to really. There's a lot of times when you're eating, you know, chicken on the go. You have to then employ a napkin. You have to then you know make sure that you're somewhere that you can you know, uh, kind of wash your hands a little bit and things like that. But, uh, they think of a lot more and I love from the packaging of, of, of the to go food and the consumption of it. It's, and it's freaking fresh and delicious. Sounds delicious. Well, I I think that's the other thing that I find fascinating about so many of those, uh, those Asian uh, countries is the fact that a lot of the, like you're saying that the street food is, they're all designed around like a single dish or a single style of like something very simple. Like it's not, you don't have like those cheesecake factory, you know, 250 item menus. You have like, this is a menu we do. We specialize in chicken livers and we do them three ways and they're all delicious and they're all a little bit different. And you should just stop in for some chicken livers and then go down the street and get your, your dongo or something else like that and just keep moving. And it's great. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's amazing, man. I um yeah. So I got I got to introduce you to this um if you're on Facebook at all, um I got introduced yeah. to this uh Facebook group by um we did a we did a show with what's what's that show we did with Callahan uh um Aliens and Robots, I think it yeah. was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he introduced me to um it's called The Quarantine Cookoff. And oh, okay. Like okay. Food lovers, they, they post their quarantine dishes and things like that. You got to check it out. It's it's pretty cool. I, oh, I, I intend on uh, you know putting some some dishes that I made up on there. Um, but That's awesome. let's yeah. uh, before I let you go, let's talk about your book. Yeah. You know, it's, oh sure. Yeah, tell me about the book <laughs> and and why you wrote it. Uh, so to be perfectly honest, I've spent. Uh, most of my restaurant career working in and around restaurants, but I've done a lot of different things. I worked front of the house and back of the house and management and all the rest of that stuff. But the thing that I keep returning back to is waiting tables. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a number of reasons. 
Uh, out of all the restaurant jobs, it's easily the most flexible. Uh, definitely the best return on money for your time investment um, uh, and income and all the rest of that. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens after uh, after this little pandemic uh, <laughs> what happens <laughs> with, with waiting tables. But um, there came a point where I was getting kind of frustrated with the business uh, and I took some time away and I was doing a few other things. And I was thinking, of like, you know, I really like restaurants, but I feel like there's a lot of sort of maybe issues or problems or things that just don't make sense. And I feel like a lot of things that I know now, I wish I had known like, you know, 20 years ago when I got my first like restaurant job. True. And I was like, okay, why not just put together a little book about like what I feel like I've learned and what I think uh, would be good. Well, what would the book be that I would write and give to myself uh, 20 years ago? And it's, it's this kind of thing. And it's, you know, be a better effing waiter. Uh, <laughs> and I think, and, and the idea was that it was supposed to express the sort of frustration I had, you know, and I think, uh, have, have either of you ever trained anyone in a restaurant? Oh, oh my yeah. God. Forget about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, actually. That is the correct response. Uh, and it's, it's always hard because there are a lot of things that you just don't think about or realize if you've never worked in a restaurant before, which you're just not aware of. And so part of this was me trying to, you know, explain how, how a restaurant works uh, and how people could use who work in restaurants could work more efficiently or better in restaurants. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wrote the book. And to be perfectly honest, and, and you heard it here first, folks, I feel like it needs a lot of work still. So uh, I'm actually, I'm thinking about using this quarantine time to, to, to write a second edition, okay. but like review it and revisit it. But, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's a book that I basically, I'm, you know, for anyone who is in the business and maybe you've been in it for like a year, I think there's stuff in here. If you've been in it for maybe 10 or 15 years, I think there might be something in here too. Um, as a general way to, to learn how restaurants work. Uh, uh, something I firmly believe is that, and I think this maybe some people don't agree with this, but uh, I don't think everyone should work in a restaurant. I think everyone should know how restaurants work, gotcha. but I think there's some people who are just really not. Who are restaurant in restaurants. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> because it's, it's like, it's a team sport basically. And, you know, as, you know, as much as you might, well, you know, love LeBron James, I don't want him playing on the Patriots, you know, like it's, <laughs> you, you, people have, people have uh, different disciplines and different understandings, you yeah. know, and I feel like it's, if you go out to eat at restaurants, you know how they work because that will help you have a better restaurant experience. True. Um, but it is also one of those things where I think, um, you know, um, those who do choose to work in it and have some aptitude for it, there are always ways to improve. And I, I know that I have ways that I could even improve my, my restaurant game, you know. Always. It's, it's, never, yeah. it's never finished. I'm, you're always learning things and there's so much, you know, you're, you're not going to master or finish any part of the restaurant business because it's always evolving. You know, it's like, it's something that's what's it, what's good today may not be good 10 years from now. And um, constant learning. yeah, it's, it's, it's constant learning, but the want to has to be there. I think, you know, 
And that, and that's the thing. Like totally. if, if a person's not completely into it, you don't really, I'm, I'm a testament that you don't really necessarily have to like people, but you have to really, um, respect, <laughs> Agree. You, totally. have, you have to really respect the job though. That's the thing. Like if you mm. have respect for your work ethic and your job, um, pretending to like people will, will come naturally, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> but just because you like people, I've had people that love people and be terrible waiters because they, they don't yeah. respect the job because they're, you're going to offer them things that we, we, we can't execute. You're going to, yeah. you know, neglect, um, parts of your, your, your side work or, or other parts of your station because, oh, I just wanted them to do that. And you're just going to be a situational waiter. You don't want to be a situational waiter. You want to be a competent waiter where everything works as a whole, you know? So, um, with that, we're going to thank Jack Kohout for being with us. Uh, very, 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 very happy that you were able to spend some time with us. I'll get you that rum. Uh, I actually got to awesome. go to the post office and find out like, if I can. Hey, I want to do this. How can I do this? And um, Oh, yeah, because it's liquid, right? It's liquid why? and it's flammable. Gotcha. So, okay, that's um, right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you got to dry ice that pizza and send it down here for us. <laughs> yeah, I will do my very best. I'll figure out a way. We can make this happen. My man Danny working on the pizza for me. <laughs> Thanks again. I'm Marlon Joseph, the modern waiter. I'm Danny DeVilla. And uh, don't forget to subscribe, 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 people. Thanks again, Jack. And Jack, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Amazing area. Very uh, entertaining. <clears throat> yes, we'll see you next Good. time on Thank the Modern you. Way to Podcast.